from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. A Baha'i Perspective is a radio program of biographical interviews of people who have either chosen the Baha'i faith as a way of life or who have a relationship with the Baha'i faith. If you want information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you're welcome to visit the website www.baha'i.org, that's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. Today, I'm playing a telephone interview with Van Gilmer. Although growing up, his community knew him as a musician, he went to college to study architectural engineering. However, music stayed with him throughout his life. In 1992, Van introduced the merging of the gospel musical form and Baha'i scripture at the Baha'i World Congress in New York City. He is now the musical director at the Baha'i House of Worship in Wilmette, Illinois. I started the interview by asking Van where he grew up and what was it like growing up there. I grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina, born there and grew up there. I grew up during the period when there was uh, segregation in the South. I was in an all-black school, and I I didn't have any contact with any uh, people other than the people of my community in school, other than, you know, shopping downtown or doing other things. Uh, until I was um, actually uh, just a junior, senior in high school. And that wasn't with with people going to school with me who were other races, but with some inter-school activity where I had my first person-to-person contact with people of other races. So I, I grew up in a, originally in a very segregated uh, community. Uh, I was a Southern Baptist. It was the church of my mother and father, and it had great gospel music. But I also attended church with my grandmother, and her church was a Methodist church, and it had a, a completely different style of music. The two churches were basically in my life for a long period, and then as, as I entered uh, college, I started playing for another church, directing a choir at Congregational Christian Church. Church life was uh, full because there were many things to to participate in, like Sunday school, programs during the week, special programs that the church would put on. I did not sing or play at the church that I attended, which was the Baptist church. I sang at my grandmother's church, which is a Methodist church, and I sang and played at uh, the Congregational Christian Church. And in my uh, high school, college days, I also was a soloist at uh, several other churches, uh, African Methodist Episcopalian Zion Church, AME Zion Church. You had mentioned that you grew up in a very segregated community. What do you remember 
when you first started interacting with white folks? It wasn't anything shocking. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was different in that these students were from schools that, of course, we only saw but never were able to attend. Everybody was very cordial, so it was it was a good experience, not a bad experience. As you may recall, though, in Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, in 1960, were the first sit-ins. So there was a lot of demonstrations going on in my senior year and through college, when in this country we were uh, beginning to be aware that African Americans of the country were not all that pleased with being segregated. You said when you went off to college, what did you study in college? I majored in architectural engineering. I graduated with a, a BS degree in architectural engineering, though many thought I would major in music and were shocked to hear that I was in the School of Engineering instead of the, the Department of Music. Uh, my choice was because in, in those days and at that time and at the school that I attended, which was North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University, generally called A&T, at that university, if I had majored in music, I would have received a teaching degree, and it would be teaching piano or voice. And at that time, those were neither of the things that I wanted to do. Uh I was more interested in the performance side of music. So knowing I couldn't get a degree in that, and knowing that I didn't really want to teach music, I turned to something else that I liked a lot. It's just I had not demonstrated that so much to the community. I sang all around Greensboro, North Carolina, so people knew me to be a a singer. And in some cases, they knew me to to be a singer and also a pianist. It it was quite different when when I entered engineering. But I maintained music as an elective in some way all the way through college. What did you do after college? I went to uh, work for the Department of Defense, the Navy Department in the Department of Defense, and I I was looking for a job that would allow me to have a deferment. I did not want, at the time we were in the uh, Vietnam War, and the one thing I didn't want to do was to go off to war if I didn't have to. And so I looked for places where I might be able to work in the engineering field, but also be able to get a deferment. Working for the Navy Department became an option, and when I was accepted for a position there, I took a position in the Naval Surface Warfare Center, which is in Indian Head, Maryland. And what did you do there? A variety of things. I started off in an engineering office where... There was a design of buildings, the buildings for the uh, naval activity that I worked at. It was a large, a large facility with something like 1,500 buildings. So it was a lot of construction, altering buildings, renovating buildings, and in occasion, building new buildings. And so I worked in the office that coordinated all of that, the engineering office that coordinated that. And that was where I worked for the first 
10 to 12 years of my career. Then I switched over to a program management position in the engineering area, and I worked there for a period. My career changed from time to time. I then worked uh, as the director of Equal Employment Opportunity. I managed a utility plant. I managed several engineering groups. And so that's generally what my work background was. It was 37 years of, as they say, faithful service (laughs) to the United States government. At what point in your life did you run into the Baha'i faith? During my college days, I was invited to sing for a Baha'i function. And though I knew the word Baha'i and I knew some people who were Baha'is, I didn't know anything about what the religion was. How did you hear the name Baha'i in the first place? I had a neighbor who was a Baha'i. Actually, I had two neighbors who were Baha'is. They never really talked to me about the Baha'i faith. They always said the Baha'is are nice people, but they didn't tell me anything about who they were. And so I didn't have any understanding of what it was, except that it was not Christianity, and that these ladies did not go to a church that I knew of. And we knew when there was a Baha'i meeting in the neighborhood, because that would be the time that quite a few white people of Greensboro would come to my neighbor's house. And, of course, we said she's having church at her house. She's... That's her church. But that's all I knew. You know, I didn't know very much about what they they believed or who they were until I went to that first meeting in 1963 on the A&T University campus to sing. What was the circumstances that they asked you to sing? That day was a World Religion Day. The Baha'i Club on that campus, which consisted of a student and a teacher. They may have had one other person, but the club sponsored a World Religion Day on campus in the library. What's interesting, maybe, is that uh, it snowed the day of that program. And in North Carolina, when it snows over five or six inches, everything is, is immobile. I understood they were still having the meeting, so... I walked through the snow up to the campus and appeared at the meeting to sing, not knowing that the Baha'is had not been told that I was invited to sing. So they thought I was coming because I had seen one of their signs. They were going to um, give their program for me. I also didn't know that I was the only person in the room who was not a Baha'i. And there were about six or seven people there. And I didn't know because they had a presenter and people in the audience answered, asked questions and they answered their questions. I didn't have any questions. I, I was really just waiting to <laughs> waiting for them to call on me to sing, which never happened. But in the process, I did hear something about the Baha'i faith. So what was your impression on that first day? I liked the things I heard, but I had no intention of changing from my rich background as a Southern Baptist. I mean, it, it was just something nice to hear. And I, I probably wouldn't have gone back at all 
had they not later found out that I had been there to sing, and they didn't ask me. And so now the Baha'i community was asking if I'd come to something else and sing for them because so, they wanted to hear me sing. I was now very reluctant to go, but uh, I had I talked to a friend of mine who was at who was also a student at North Carolina A&T to go with me. So we went to what Baha'is call a fireside. That's where I started meeting some of the people who were Baha'is in Greensboro. Why were you reluctant to go? Because it wasn't going to be in familiar territory. It was going to be in a neighborhood that was all white. I knew better than to go to those neighborhoods on my own. And I now knew it was religion, and I was beginning to feel like they might be trying to get me, you know, trying to influence me to become a Baha'i. And I just, I wanted to be courteous, but I did not want to go by myself. Actually, it turned out to be a very nice evening of talking about the Baha'i faith, and then of, of getting to know each other. And I left that meeting with my friend who who was very upset. He he was he was he wasn't familiar with what I was taking him to and he didn't have the same reluctance I had because he didn't know Greensboro very much. And so he went off with me but he also was offended by um the Baha'is talking about their prophet founder, Baha'u'llah. And so, and he was very, uh, uh, very much more involved with the Bible than I was. So he asked a lot of questions. He was quite upset. When we left, we went to his room to talk about what had happened. And I found after we were in his room that he actually did like some of the things that they said. He just, didn't want to appear to have liked <laughs> So, uh, in fact, uh, later we both became Baha'is. We ended up studying the faith, studying the Baha'i faith and going to Baha'i meetings. In nine months, I became a Baha'i, and nine or ten days after I became a Baha'i, he became a Baha'i. And what was the song that you sang at that meeting? See, I didn't sing a song at the first meeting. Right. I don't even think I sang at all at the second time. So you never... <laughs> that just turned out to be come to a meeting. <laughs> a ruse. <laughs> so I, I didn't really sing, and if I did, it was all of us singing, you know, singing general songs like Kumbaya <laughs> or something that we all knew, but I didn't really sing anything. Later I did, but not then. <laughs> now, what year was that when you became a Baha'i? Uh, it was in 1964. 1964, September of 1964. After you became a Baha'i, did that change the direction of your life in any way? That it drastically changed the direction of my life. I'm sure that had I not become a Baha'i, I'd probably still be in Greensboro or somewhere around Greensboro. Uh, and, you know, it could be that I would have left, but I would not have traveled as far as I've traveled these days, having been a Baha'i, I I would not have had, I don't believe, the kind of interaction I had with so many and so so wide a variety of 
of people had uh, I not become a Baha'i. Because, you, you know, you learn uh, in, in my day, in, in my day in segregation, you gradually accepted and became friends with anybody who was not of your race. It was, you know, it, it would have to eventually be co-workers. It could possibly be neighbors, but that would be the only interaction. It wouldn't necessarily be your church. The, the church I belonged to is still still in the same place. It still has many, many members, and they're all African-American. It's been quite a, a, a change in, in my life in that I almost immediately became uh, very active in the Baha'i faith. This is right on the, the tail of the sit-ins in Greensboro. And here was a Baha'i community actually demonstrating the things that we were protesting. Uh, you know, we, we, were, we were saying we, we think we are, we're all equal, we should be coming together, that the restaurants and movie houses and theaters should be integrated. And here was a Baha'i community that was integrated and meeting kind of secretly uh, most of the time in the black community. To discover that and to see it in operation and to realize that it was, in fact, what we had been saying we hoped for. You know, not, not all the time are the things that you say you wish for. Uh, once you, you see, actually have it, you don't know you have it necessarily. You know? it, uh, and I think many of the people who were, uh, at the time, fighting for integration did not necessarily find that after there was integration other than uh, reaping the benefits of being able to go most anywhere, most of the places that you'd want to go.